Welcome back, Missio family. We're back again to celebrate the Christmas season. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh speak about joy. We tend to use joy and happiness interchangeably, but today, Josh will discuss how they are different and how God desires for you to regularly experience joy in your life. If you have any questions about Missio, you want to join a missional community, or if you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Welcome, Missio family. We're so glad that you're here with us. We've been having a great time so far this month, and it's Christmas season. One of the things I love about the Christmas season is the opportunities to serve, the opportunities to meet needs and to help other people. Uh, One of the things that we do, that I love that we do as, as Missio, is we partner with Myrie Elementary, and Jana talked about that a little bit earlier so Myrie Elementary is just across the street from us, and they're a school with a lot of need. And so there are three churches that partner with Myrie Elementary, and we have volunteers that go over there every week and hang out with the kids. And so last year, I started volunteering with the kindergartners, got to go into their classroom once a, once a week and hang out with them. We had lunch, and we did recess, and then some activities. So got to know all those students, and it came Christmas time, and we were partnering with Toys for Tots, and I said... I asked Michelle, the lady in charge of Toys for Tots, would it be possible that we could give gifts to 60 kindergartners? And I thought that was kind of a big ask. She didn't bat an eye. She said, absolutely. And so we wrapped up a bunch of presents, put their names on it, and dropped them off over there at the school and and blessed the socks off those kindergartners. Well, this year, we wanted to do it again, but Michelle said, why don't you just do the whole school? And I'm thinking, well, 60 kids was a lot. Now we're going to 300 So we're having a big Christmas wrapping party here tomorrow night. As Jana said, come have, we're going to take all the chairs down, set some tables up here, put some Christmas music on, have some snacks. It's going to be fun. And man, what an opportunity to serve people this Christmas season. So I actually have a little video of last year, the kindergartners. I want to, I want you guys to see this. Can you play that for me? Do you think they liked it? (laughs) I think they did, right? So what emotions did you pick up on from that video? What were those kids, what what emotions? Throw some some ideas out. Joy. Joy. What else? Excitement. Any others? Hyperventilation. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of that going on, right? And so uh, we talk a lot about emotions at Christmas time, and there are a lot of emotions, and Sometimes we use the word joy. We hear joy a lot, right? That's one of the most Christmassy words we can use, right? Joy to the world. We have all these songs about it. Uh, What did Buddy the Elf say? Uh, Spreading Christmas cheer, we do what? We sing loudly for all to hear, right? I think I botched that. But uh, anyway, uh, so joy is is an emotion that we love at Christmas time. And we use that word a lot, joy. But sometimes we use it interchangeably with happiness, we say, well, are you happy? Are you joyful? And we kind of use them in the same context, and they're really, they're a little bit different. And this might help you as we talk about joy today. That's, that's where we are. We're talking about joy. And so I heard uh, Pastor Rick Warren years ago explain it this way, and it really just stuck with me, and I want to share this with you. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is what happens to you. 
Happiness is external. It's, it's uh, your circumstances. So something good can happen, and all of a sudden I feel happy. Like the Vikings won their game yesterday. I was very happy. They were not supposed to win. Uh, I had to go out and move more snow. I was not happy, right? So you can think about that. Uh, what's the happiest place on earth? Anybody know? Disney. Disney's the happiest place on earth. So you can go to Disney with your family and you can do the rides and you can eat all the food and you can do the parade and the fireworks and oh, it's so good. And then you leave Disney and you realize how much money you spent and you're not so happy anymore, <laughs> right? So happiness is very much up and down. It's here and there and it's great. It's good, but it's a little bit different than joy. See, joy is internal. Joy is a choice. Joy is something that's more lasting and long term. So it's not identical with happiness. They're both positive uh, emotions, but let's use that example of Disney again. If I had a great time at Disney, I was happy and then I left, but two years later I pull out my phone and I start looking through the photos and recalling the memories of the time I spent with my kids and how fun it was. Like, you can have joy in your heart, can't you? Remembering that experience, even though it was like two years ago. You see the difference between happiness and joy? See, Christmas time is, is a season that's filled with emotion for a lot of people. For some, it's, it's an exciting time. It's like, hey, we're doing all this family stuff and it's tradition and we've got all these things that we do every year. But for other people, they're, they're realizing that this is the first Christmas without a loved one. It's hard. There's a sense of loss, a sense of grief. And for other people, it's just a realization that I'm just kind of alone. Maybe I don't have a lot of family in my life or I don't have a lot of friends. And so it can be a hard season. And so I, I just kind of wonder what emotions are we feeling this Christmas time? Are we feeling happiness? Are we feeling joy? Maybe we're feeling sadness, grief, depression. Those are all part of who we are as people. Those are emotions. Like, it's not bad to feel emotion. In fact, God gave us our emotions. They're a gift. But really, emotions tell us what's going on. It's kind of like the gauge on the dashboard of your car. It tells you what's going on under the hood. And our emotions tell us what's going on in here. So they're not bad. They're, they're not wrong. But our emotions remind us of our need, right? So if we feel alone, we might need some people in our lives to come around us and to be a support to us. If we feel depressed, we might need to get some help. But ultimately, all of our need, all of our emotions point us back to our ultimate need for God. And he's the one who fills us back up. So when you think about joy, maybe some of you have joy today. Maybe some of you don't. But I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that I believe that God desires for every person here to regularly experience joy. And you could say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that God wants me to experience joy? I know that because he sent Jesus. And Jesus is the bringer of joy. That's one of the things that he brought to us, and we celebrate this Advent season. So I'm going to unpack biblical joy a little bit and, and what might be keeping us from experiencing it. See, uh, joy needs perspective. Happiness is easy, right? Happiness, something good happens, and we're happy. But joy sometimes takes a little work. It takes a little perspective of focusing on the right things. You think about Mary in the Christmas story. She could have focused on her circumstances. She's a, a teen mom, right, pregnant. She's got a lot of explaining to do to, to Joseph and to her parents. Like, I'm pregnant, but God's the dad. Like, that's a tough situation to be in, 
right? Mary has to go to Bethlehem for this census thing and ride on a donkey and there's nowhere to give birth. And so there's all these circumstances around Mary in the Christmas story. She could have been pretty bummed out. She could have been a little stressed, a little worried. But instead, she looks, she has perspective and she sees through the eyes of faith what God is doing. God's doing something bigger, something greater. And so Mary has, has a great perspective and we're going to look at that this morning um, because she was joyful in the Lord. And there's actually a passage of scripture here in Luke 1. So we're going to be in Luke 1 if you have a Bible. I know I'm going backwards. We were in Luke 2 last week and reversing. Um, but this is called the Magnificat. And this is Mary's prayer of praise to God. This is Mary's response. So she heard about everything that was going to happen. And this is how she responds to God. In Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation." He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And so there's some different things going on in this prayer of praise that, that Mary gives to God. And the first thing that she does is she, she gives God glory. She's like, you have been gracious with me. Mary, Mary wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm all that. Like God chose me to carry the Savior of the world. She's humble. And she says, no, thank you, Lord, for choosing me, for entrusting me with this honor of carrying your son. So Mary was humble and she gave God the glory. And, and really that's, her whole heart in this thing is a heart of worship. Isn't worship focusing on who God is, his attributes, and then recalling them and, and praising him for those? That's what Mary was doing. He, she was worshiping God. And so there's a few things I want to draw out of this, this prayer, and this is the first one, that God is merciful. God shows mercy from generation to generation, it says in verse 50. And so Mary realizes this, that God is merciful. That's who he is. Mercy basically means that we don't get punished for our sins the way that we deserve to get punished. Mercy is a withholding of wrath. And so all throughout the Bible, we see God being merciful, being merciful with Adam and Eve, being merciful with Noah, being merciful with David. We can go on and on. God is a God of mercy, not repaying sins according to what they deserve. I mean, there's always consequences for sin, but we don't get the full punishment when God shows mercy. And we see that God is just. God will not allow the proud or the arrogant. He won't allow sinners to go unpunished. It says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. So God always deals with sin, right? He always does what is just. Sometimes people think about God and they say, well, if God is loving, wouldn't God just forgive everybody and just kind of give everybody a pass on their sin if, if God is love?" Well, God is love, but God is also just, which means that he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. If you think about it this way, uh, imagine a judge in a courtroom. Somebody comes in and they're guilty of murder, 
And everybody knows it. There's, it's proven totally guilty. And the judge just looks at him and goes, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to give you a pass today. Have a nice day. And, and just releases him from the courtroom. Then the next person comes in. Right after that, same thing. Convicted murderer or, or proven murder. He's guilty. And the judge looks at him and says, you deserve the death sentence. So you can go to prison until you serve your death sentence. Would we say that that judge is fair? Is he just? Absolutely not, because he's not upholding the law. He's not following through. He has no integrity. And that's kind of like us. Like, we're on the stand, and we're guilty. We're sinful people, and we need Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who takes away our sin. He's the one who forgives us so that we can walk free. We can be that convicted murderer who walks out the door. But not because uh, no one's paid for it. Jesus did pay for it. He went to the cross died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We could walk free. That's how mercy and justice work. God is just. He accepts the payment that Jesus made on our behalf, and we are shown mercy. We also see that God takes care of his people's needs. He feeds the hungry. I mean, what, what other need? That's one of the most basic needs that humans have. God feeds the hungry. Mary recalls that. He provides for all of our needs. That's what loving fathers do. They take care of their kids. And God remembers his promises. Mary knew that God was fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham. This is, this is covenant stuff, right? This, is, this goes way back into the Old Testament where God made promises to generation after generation that there was going to be coming a Messiah, that somebody was coming who was going to come from their line, from their lineage, and this Messiah was going to come and save the world. And so Mary is having this moment in the midst of her circumstances. She's saying, oh, God, you're remembering your promise with Abraham. You're doing this thing, and it's amazing. And I realize the implications of what this means, that the Savior of the world is now coming, and it's going to change everything. And I'm so glad that, that uh, God remembers his promises, aren't you? God doesn't forget I'm a pretty forgetful guy. I mean, I can't remember what I had for lunch three days ago. God doesn't forget. He makes a promise, he remembers it, and he follows through with it. So we can see from Mary's prayer of worship that joy is connected with the way she saw her circumstances. And sometimes we need that too. We need a bit of a perspective change. And maybe that's why we're not experiencing joy is because we're just looking at what's right in front of us and not seeing the big picture. Sometimes we talk about people being an optimist or a pessimist. And I have a, a relative in my family who says, I'm a realist. That's, that's like, what you, anybody, any realists in here? And really what that is, it's a pessimist who doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> Somebody who sees things on a more negative side, but, but they don't want to admit it, right? And, and I think as Christians, it's pretty tough to be a Christian and, and not have optimism, not to be optimistic because when we become a believer we inherit some optimism we inherit uh, an eternity right we're looking forward we're expectant we have hope we have peace we have all these things we talk about at Advent and so it's pretty hard for us to not have some kind of a positive outlook on this life because we inherit it through Jesus and get his joy and so we have to look at life through the eyes of faith that's what Mary was doing she was looking at her circumstances, and even though there were some challenges, she was looking through the eyes of faith and saying, I see what, what this means. Like, Jesus coming is going to change everything. 
And I think it's probably hard for us to, to appreciate this like fully um, without just taking a perspective chain or a perspective uh, challenge to ourselves once in a while. Sometimes we have to reflect on God's identity, who he is, and reflect on our own. And, and that will bring us joy. So I want to just pause here for just a second and, and hear a little discussion from you guys. So please feel free to just share what's on your mind. How do you think your perspective in life affects your level of joy? Does it matter? And how? It's a direct link. How so? Yeah. Kind of affects our attitude, our mood, all that stuff, right? Anybody else? I think it's directly linked between the two. Um, I mean, what, what I'm thinking of just because it's Christmas time is, is the Scrooge, right? Like he had everything, he had all the money, but he had no joy. Mm. And if you like, if you flip that, you can have very little, but as long as you have either hope or if you have something going for you. Still have joy regardless of your monetary mm. amount. Yeah, he said, he's talking about Scrooge, right? The classic example of Scrooge has all the money, has all the stuff, has no joy. But you can be very poor. What was the little. Tiny Tim, like, Tiny Tim had joy, right? So, does focusing on who God is and what he has done help your situation and why? Does that change anything? can get you through a lot of tough times relying on God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God never leaves us, right? He's with us through all of it. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We need to be like focusing on who God is. He's ever present. He's Emmanuel, God with us. We talk about that at Christmas, right? Anybody else? Gives you an eternal perspective. Yeah. Because if we focus on the here and now, we can get pretty bummed out. We can focus on all the things that are wrong with the world. But again, as believers, we inherit a sense of optimism, right? About the future. We have hope. We know what happens at the end of the story when we think about the eternal. I don't have to have control. Yeah. It's all right. God's got it, right? So we can understand joy and still not experience it. Jesus brought joy when he came to the earth because he was coming to change everything. Mary knew this. She realized this, that the implications of what Jesus was going to do because he was coming to this earth. I don't know if, if we can fully appreciate the, the situation that Israel was in. Israel was in the situation where they were under the law, right? They were under the Mosaic law, and they had all these rules and all this stuff under the old covenant that God had with his people. And now all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he's bringing a new covenant. I don't know if we can fully appreciate that. I mean, um, but, but they had the law of Moses. And so I want to just explain this a little bit. The Mosaic law really had three categories. The civic law was um, between people. This was how people interacted with each other. It's like, hey, you stole my cattle. I'm going to do this. You know, you owe me a debt. You have some land. And this was like rules and, and ways that people were governed in their kind of day-to-day -day life between people. This doesn't really apply to us. This was for Israel back then. 
right? And then the ceremonial law was really rules of worship. This was how the people of Israel were to approach God. This is how you come. God says, you don't come before me willy-nilly, like I'm holy and you're sinful, and so for you to come, you need to shed blood of animals, and you need to cleanse yourself, and you need to go through these rituals. And so there's tons of that stuff in the Old Testament where we see the ceremonial law, this is how you approach me, is what God said. But we know, if we fast forward to Easter, what happened when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, the veil in the temple was torn in two. So no longer is there a separation, no longer is there a need for a high priest, no longer is there a need for animal sacrifices. Jesus did the high priestly work once and for all, right? So the ceremonial law, not applicable to us. But then the moral law is really like what's right and wrong. The Ten Commandments, um, you know, lying has always been a sin, still is a sin, don't go kill your neighbor, like that's moral stuff that still applies to us. So when we talk about the law and kind of that the law has been fulfilled, we're talking about the first two, not the third, right? And so the Israelites lived under all of this, though, and, and I don't think it was really, uh, I don't know, I'm just really thankful that I don't live under the law. Anybody else thankful that you don't have to make animal sacrifices and go through all of that? I don't think we can fully realize the joy of Christmas, though, without realizing the significance of the new covenant. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So Jesus' coming changed everything. He was bringing the new covenant. Jesus was bringing a new way of relating to God. No longer did the blood of animals have to be shed. No longer did we have to go to the altar and deal with our sin that way. Jesus took care of it once for all. This changed everything. Now, I don't know if anybody here is still trying to fulfill the law. Anybody doing animal sacrifices in your backyard? No one wants to raise their hand if they are, but I don't think anybody is, right? And if you were, your neighbors would probably call the cops, get in some trouble, have some explaining to do. But we're not living under the law, right? We know that. We're not literally trying to take care of that. But I do think that there are many, many Christians all over the place who are still trying to live under the law in here, in their heart. They're trying to get right with God by doing things, by checking boxes, by rituals, and take, taking care of their stuff and trying to earn righteousness with God rather than accepting grace and living in it. In fact, it's not a, an uncommon thing. Paul wrote the whole letter to the Galatians. That whole book was written about, hey, you Galatians, you, you experienced the gospel, but yet now you want to go back to the law. Like, what are you doing? Why do you want to go back to that? This is what Paul says in Galatians 2.16. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what does this all have to do with joy? What is the law and grace all have to do with joy. It has to do with joy because we realize what Jesus brought when he came. He brought the new covenant. He brought a way of relating to God that didn't require all of the law to get to God, right? And so we may still want to keep the law in our hearts, but the invitation is to live with grace. I want to give you a, a picture of this. So what we do is we, um, we live legalistic, right? We live under legalism, and it's all about keeping score with, with others, keeping score with ourselves, 
in keeping score with God. So when we're trying to live a legalistic experience, I take out my little scorecard and I say, well, she's doing that and he's doing this and that's not very good. And so we start to be judgmental. We start to be hypocrites. Anybody know Christians like this who are super judgmental? Church, we have a reputation in America of being this way. There's a reason for that because so many Christians, they want to take out their little scorecard and say, well, you're, you're kind of missing the mark. We don't have to live that way. We get to show grace. We receive grace and we get to extend it to other people. Then we keep score with ourselves and we say, well, I've got this moral code and even though maybe the Bible doesn't really teach this, I'm going to say I, I should do this, I shouldn't do that. And as long as we meet that criteria with our little scorecard, then we feel pretty good about ourselves, right? I checked all the boxes today. I'm a good Christian. And we can't cut ourselves any slack because then when we fail... We're really hard on ourselves and we take it out on everybody around us because we're, we're super upset. We didn't meet, meet the mark. That's living in legalism. We don't have to live that way. God says, I love you no matter what. You're unconditionally loved. And then the other thing we do is we keep score with God. Now, this is a good one, right? We, we try to pretend like God owes us something. Like, God, I did all these good things. I, I served the homeless over here or I, I fed the, you know, whatever and I shoveled my neighbor's driveway. I did all these good deeds. God, you owe me. Bless me, Lord, because I did these good things. And God's saying, I don't owe you anything. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to bless you because I love you, but you can't earn it. So we have our little scorecards with God, and we say, well, if I do this, then we're kind of bargaining with God, right? It doesn't work that way. That's a heart of legalism. Legalism produces cynicism, a judgmental attitude, and makes a person downright grumpy. That's what legalism does. And if you're not experiencing much joy in your life right now, this could be the culprit. Legalism could be the thing that's pulling you away. Jesus came to bring grace. That was the good news of the gospel. You don't have to live under the law. Don't come up with your own law. Don't bring new law into the situation. Live under grace. And you flip that around to living under grace, and you realize all your sins are forgiven. Jesus paid for them, past, present, future. You come into the family of God, you're a beloved son or daughter, and nothing you can do can earn more of God's love. That's living under grace. We have to receive it, and we have to give it. We have to understand what that looks like. I want to share a, a little excerpt from a book called The Cure. I love this, and it's, it's really a lot about grace. And I've shared some of this with you before. It's a bit of a long excerpt, but just follow with it. Nothing you believe and depend on is more magnificently freeing than this single truth. You are no longer who you were, even on your worst day. Trusting and leaning upon Christ in you is the source of every shred of strength, joy, healing, and peace. What we believe happened, that first moment of trusting Jesus, affects everything. This start is called justification, which means to be made right. Think about it means to believe you were made right. Some believe they will eventually, through sincere diligence, change into someone better. Their confidence to change centers on sanctified self-effort. Others believe the very essence of who they are now is completely changed. They are convinced of absolute fused union with the God of the universe. Their confidence to mature is placed squarely in trust of their new identity in Jesus. That does not mean that they won't fail. They do fail. 
But in the end, they trust God who made them. If I follow the first path, I'm trying to change from who I was into who I should be. If I follow the second, I'm maturing into who I already am. In the first, I'm working toward becoming more righteous. In the second, I'm already righteous, made right by God the moment I believed. See the difference between living in grace and living in legalism? One way says, I'm already righteous. I'm I'm as righteous as I'm going to get because of Jesus. The other one says, no, I'm going to keep bettering myself and becoming a better version. And it's really an insult to God. Our works don't make us more righteous. Jesus did that on the cross. We get to live under grace. We get to accept it. We get to extend it. So I want to pause right here and, and just ask a couple more questions. First one is this. How might life be different if we got rid of our scorecards with ourselves, with others, and with God? Would life be any different if we got rid of our scorecards? How? Less resentment and more forgiveness. Less resentment and more forgiveness. We receive God's forgiveness, we extend it, right? What else? You guys like your scorecards? <laughs> Maybe you guys like them. <laughs> Oh, our marriage would be so much better. No scorecards in marriage, guys. That's another good one. Get rid of them. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he basically said that our ability to love well flows back to our ability to be loved or to, to receive grace and to extend grace. Like, we're not much good to other people if we can't receive it ourselves. If we're being hard on ourselves, then it's pretty hard to be gracious with other people. I think that's absolutely right. How about, uh, who do you think experiences more joy? Someone living under grace or legalism and why? Who experiences more joy? This is an easy one, guys. <laughs> but why? why? So living under grace, we experience joy, but Why? What do you think that is? Yeah, we're continually reminded of what's been done for us, not what we have to do. Yeah. There's no way to measure up. No, there isn't, because legalism, where does it stop? When is enough enough? It's never enough, Right? But with grace, it's done. It's finished. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. So God wants us to experience joy. God wants us to live with joy in our lives because he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus, to bring us joy. 
And so it helps by understanding the difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is what happens to us. Joy is internal. It's a choice. Sometimes it takes perspective and remembering, right? So we have to keep perspective in our circumstances because life is not easy. Life isn't easy and it's not always good. But through the midst of our lives, through the midst of our circumstances, we can have joy. We can choose joy. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it joy when you face trials. Anybody like to celebrate their trials? Right? I'm not happy. If, I'm, if I get fired from my job, I'm not a happy camper. But James says, consider it joy. Have a deep sense of joy because you're looking ahead and you're focusing on Jesus and you remember he's got this. So no matter what happens with your job situation, you're growing in your faith and trusting God and that's a good thing. So you can take joy in that. Seems very counterintuitive, doesn't it? But it's all about perspective. And remember that one of the quickest ways that we can lose our joy is by becoming legalistic. By going back to the law, making new law, instead of embracing what Jesus brought, which was grace. He says, you want to have a right relationship with God? It's easy. You come to me. It's grace through faith. You're not bringing anything to the table. You just receive it. It's a gift. And so we can't start stacking up our own religious stuff on top of that, expecting that we're going to somehow please God more than what Jesus did to please God. Jesus did it for us. So don't live in such a way with, with your scorecards, keeping track, trying to earn righteousness, trying to prove, trying to strive. Man, can we just stop the striving? Stop the proving? Stop the earning? And just rest in who Jesus is? That's why he came. He came to bring joy to the world. He came to bring joy to our hearts and to our lives. And it's the invitation for all of us today. So stop striving. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Remember why he came, right? We get to live this way. We get to experience his grace and to give it to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that it's your desire for us to experience joy in this life. It's why you sent Jesus to redeem us, to rescue us, to let us live this kingdom life. And Lord, sometimes we get pretty bummed out in this world and we get focused on the wrong things. Our perspective gets short-sighted. We get focused on our problems. And we forget to focus on you, Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who came to redeem us, to fix what's broken, and, and to give us hope, to give us a future. And so, Lord, help us not to look to the things of this world to be happy. We love to be happy. We love to receive gifts at Christmas time and to just experience good things, but it comes and goes. What we need is joy. We need a deep sense of understanding of who you are, what you've done for us, and who we are as a result. Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to enter into this broken world, to come down and to live, to ultimately die, so that we could be forgiven we could experience grace. And we will forever experience that. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from this service. The gospel brings joy, not a list of rules. 
God desires for you to regularly experience joy in your life. We can't fully realize the joy of Christmas without realizing the significance of the new covenant. We can't please God through good works or serving. That's legalism. God gives us a life of living in grace. Legalism steals our joy, while grace frees us up to experience it. Discussion questions from today. How do you think your perspective in life affects your level of joy? Does focusing on who God is and what he has done help with your situation? Why? Do you see the difference between legalism and grace? Remember, legalism, it steals our joy. Grace, it frees us up to experience it. How might life be different if we get rid of our scorecards? With others? Ourselves? God? Who do you think experiences joy more? Someone living under grace or legalism? Why? Thanks again, Missio family, for joining us. We hope to see you next week.